Welcome to Ability Stories Podcast, where we discuss the successes, challenges, and stories of people with disabilities. I'm your host, Tara Briggs. To contact me, please send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. best forms of therapy if you have a disability or if you're in any kind of minority is to find someone in the same situation as you and to get to know them. I have a friend who is about 10 years younger than I am and for those of you who are listening I've got Oh dear. I've got my little baby and she's sitting on the floor talking. I'm going to leave that in because it's cute. But anyway, I have a friend who is about about 10 years younger than I am. And she's still in college. She's kind of in a different place in life. But we are really good friends and we're really close. She is on her first guide dog. And starting out, her first guide dog was a nuthead like my honey. And she has just been so amazing with this dog and giving him boundaries. And she very kindly credits me with that um, because I learned how to do that on my second dog. I I think she's just a good handler, but I appreciate the credit. So I've loved the chance to get to know blind people in my life and blind people through this podcast. But I'm in kind of a unique situation, which is I'm blind and my husband has a disability. He has muscular dystrophy. And I have met two other people who are in the same situation as me. One lives in Utah, and we met for the first time a couple of years ago, and we ended up just talking. Like, this was the first time we met, and we just talked and talked and talked because we had so much in common. And the other person is named Jan Brown, and she is the interview you're about to hear. Quite some time ago, I was on the Tech Doctor blog and podcast, and she had listened to that and got in touch with me and told me that she had been married to Charlie for 31 years. He had a degenerative form of muscular dystrophy, and that's how he passed away. So this is Jan's story. Um, I have loved this interview. When I do an interview, I like to try and get out of the way. I heard this on a podcast. Get out of the way and let people tell their stories, and that's what I like to try and do. And there's a few, I tried to do that with this one, but there's a few um, kind of digressions and um, it was just, we had a blast and that totally comes across in the interview. We had a really good time. So it was a little bit of an editing process because we were all over the place. Um, But I think it's a pretty coherent story. There is one little off topic discussion about guide dogs and it will make you feel really a lot better if you've ever had a if you have a service dog and you've ever had a bad day with your service dog. So, without further ado, this is my interview with Jan Brown. Um, just a reminder to all of you that if you want to be in touch, I, I love to hear from listeners. I love it when you guys tell me your stories or just drop an email to say hi. And also, I love it when you email me and and um, we get to have you on the podcast and hear your story because that's what this ultimately is for is to give people the chance to tell their stories as people with disabilities and to build hope and understanding so i'm at abilitystories at gmail.com and um jan if you happen to re-listen to this interview thank you so much for being so beautifully open and telling your story and um there's 
my audio quality is a little bit clippy. I've, I've noticed that on my Skype call, so I'm trying to fix that. <laughs> but I'm going to play this interview and try and entertain my children. Bye, everybody. I was one of those, one of those kids uh, back in the deeps of time who was premature and given too much oxygen and stuck away in an incubator. Yeah. And at the time, the, parent, the parents couldn't come see you or anything because they thought you were going to die. I guess that's the reason anyway. Huh. And so they had to wait three months before they could touch me. Well, I remember when we talked, you said you were one of the kids before they figured out that you couldn't do that much oxygen, right? Yeah, we were the test kids. But as a result of that, there are a whole bunch of blind people my age, a bunch of totals, who, the ones who are still my friends from back then, all worked and did really well in life. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, I have the same thing, but by the time I came along, they knew about the oxygen, and sometimes they could control it, and sometimes they couldn't. Tyler, uh, my husband, he was also three months premature, just like me, and he we both weighed two pounds, four ounces, and his eyes are fine. Um, oh, you were littler than me. I was two nine. I, you, you were a fatso. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I, I've had people tell me, uh, you've had preemies, you know, I had a preemie and they were three pounds, five ounces, and it's hard for me not to be like, man, they had a pound on me. They were huge. <laughs> yeah, they're huge, like a chicken. What was your family's reaction? Tell me about, tell me about how your family reacted to your disability, because... I mean, that was, well, when, 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 were you, when were you born? October 30th, 1949. And I had an older sister and two parents. And, you know, it was an intact family. Most families were back then, even if they didn't like each other. But mine did. And I was lucky, but I didn't know any of that. I was a little, little tiny, bitty smidgen of a kid. And m mom told me, anyway, she, they said, your daughter's blind. So she scrubbed the floors. You know, mom's a, my mom's a doer. She scrubbed the floors and cried. And then she said, okay, what are we going to do about it? So something I just learned recently, I was a poster kid for American Foundation for the Blind. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, you know. And she got a social worker from Variety Club, I think they called it. And I didn't know she was a social worker. I just thought she was a nice lady. And she talked to me and gave me little animals to play with, and that was a lot of fun. I wasn't a little bitty smidge. I was, I don't know, older by now, but not much. And I had, apparently, I could see shadows, but I don't remember any of it. I just remember when I was three having incredible, really painful glaucoma, mm. and it went away, and I got up to play. Did you go to the school for the blind, or how did that how did that work out no, for you? No, um, I really? went to kindergarten. No, I did not. Wow. My the National Federation of the Blind, in the person of Jacobus Tenbrook, at the time he was the head of it, or at least he was in California, um, told my parents to send me to the blind school. So mom went over and looked, and she saw these kids rocking back and forth and poking at their eyes. Mm -hmm. She said, "Uh-uh, my kid's not going there." So I, I was in kindergarten and having a good time as a kid. You know, I didn't know any of this. And my folks were, and some other people, parents of blind kids, and were looking all over to different cities in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, to get one of them to start a, an integrated, they called it, integrated Braille program in which you would have a resource teacher and spend most of your time 
in the regular class, but do reading and spelling and things like that with your resource teacher and learning how to read Braille. So finally, the Berkeley Public Schools, where we lived, agreed to hire a nice young woman who had just learned Braille that summer, Jean Kenmore was her name, to be our resource teacher. And so I started first grade along with everybody else. And that was that. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Was she cited? Miss Kenmore? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I, I, I've just been so, for me, into role modeling from other blind adults that I think, I think that, that well, for whatever disability you have, I think it's just critical that you find people with your same disability who've been um, successful. So it would, would have been interesting if they could have found someone who was blind. Was she good? Oh, she could have, but they didn't. But it was, we had each other. And we were driven by cab to school. Mm-hmm. And so we we had all kinds of fun in the cab. A friend of mine had just started the Narnia books. And he told me he'd been to Narnia and that we could go there. But it would take no more time. You'd always come back to where you were at the same time in Narnia. And mm-hmm. so I was just intrigued. And we played all kinds of games in there. I was just a kid. And I had a lot yeah. of sighted friends. Because my mom always was... On my case, and I'm glad she was, she'd say, Jan, if you want to make a friend, you have to be a friend. Okay. You know, how you do. <laughs> and, but she was right. And I made side friends, I made blind friends. I just have always been lucky in having the skill to make friends and keep them. I got transferred. They divided this up in the, whatever grade, some grade or other, fifth grade. And I went to, I was transferred from Jefferson School, which I loved, to Emerson School. But the fun thing about that was I met my friend Jody Friedman. She was a sighted kid. And she played guitar and I played guitar. So we played guitar together. And we oh, we did all kinds of assemblies and fun stuff. Do you have perfect pitch? Mm-hmm. Do you? Ugh. You know, I just, I, that should be every blind person's consolation prize. <laughs> it's perfect pitch. Well, not everybody has it. There I'm are blind the, people who can't. I'm can't. one of the ones that doesn't have it, and I really want it. <laughs> My guy has it because he played. He was a musician, a honky tonk musician mm-hmm. for decades, and he played in country bands. And his name was in lights. You know, kind of neat. Yeah, He's a good musician. So, any any fun memories from those days or stories oh. from those days? Oh yeah. Or, um, you want to share? Sure. Um, I got in a fight in the third grade, <laughs> and I, I, I'm not sure why to this day, but it wasn't a blindy thing. It was uh, this friend of mine I had been superseded by a new friend, Shay was his name, the new friend, and I liked him better than my old friend. You know, this is how kids do. And she was kind of slow. This is awful about me, but this whole thing is a bad story for my niceness. I mean, and it reflects poorly. Anyway, um, she was kind of slow, and she was reading things like Blueberries for Sal, and I knew that we were way too old for that kind of book. And so Shay was a real smart kid, and we hung out together. And one day I said, go get her. And he went and got her. My, the friend who was reading Blueberries for Sal, my former friend. 
and I knocked her down and hit her. I sat on her and I hit her. And she got away from me. Go get her again. So he went and got her. And I knocked her down and hit her some more. And I forget how it ended. But, I mean, I was the better for it. And then I got home and mom said, this is back in the days where we had to wear dresses to school. It wasn't an option. It just was. Mm-hmm. It was the rule. She said, what would you do to your dress? And I said, I couldn't lie. You guys supposed to lie to your mother, right? <laughs> but I couldn't tell the truth either. And so, so I said, beat oh, I don't know. Lie to your mom. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I was eight. I know, I know. I'm just teasing. So I said nothing. And then they got a call from her parents. I'd broken her glasses. Oh, no. And then they had a little talk. And I all the truth came out. But all of that is meant to illustrate is that we can do the same kind of things that sighted people can do. <laughs> That's all. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I remember reading somewhere um, that there was a lot of racism in the organized blind movement in the beginning. Yeah, like, there it's, was. It's funny because it's like of all people to not be racist, you would you would just, I mean, I don't mean to stereotype about blind people, but I don't know if what color somebody's skin is unless they tell me. No, you can tell by accent sometimes. Sometimes you can, but sometimes but you sometimes can't. But sometimes you can't. I know. Yeah, I I had a an ethnic studies professor in college, and he got talking about how he was Asian, and he had a student that had a, a problem with that, and I was like, you're Asian? I didn't know you're Asian. I mean, he didn't, he didn't sound like he had any kind of an accent, so. He probably didn't. Yeah. He's <laughs> been here forever. Right. Right, yeah, so it's kind of, it's, it's it's funny how sometimes as a minority, I think that we can take those experiences and they can make us more compassionate, better people, and sometimes you just get tribal and are just as mean as everybody else. Yeah, we have the right to be creeps, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you, you went with that same group in, through high school, and then... And then some of us just went down the street to the University of California, Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And some of us didn't. Now, what did um, you do? I went to Berkeley. It was right there. But I wasn't going to live at home. Uh-uh. I mean, no. And we had to live in the dorm for the first year. And this is the 60s. And my roommate and her buddies were dropping acid. And they said, we're going to take the room over. You go to somebody else's room. And stupid me didn't have the oomph to say, uh-uh, I'm staying here. You go. I've got Plato to read, you know. Mm-hmm. And I hated that dorm room, and I felt I was so afraid in college that first semester because there was no dinner, you know, on Sunday night. And my cane skills weren't as good as they were going to get before I got a dog. But I was really scared. I'd never been in a restaurant by myself to order something, and down at the end of the block, or a block and a half, whatever it was, was this place, Top Dog. It's a hot dog stand, right? They don't have very big menus. So I remembered what I liked there, and I just go order it and eat it. But that was my first venture into dining. Well, it wasn't dining, it was eating, by my, although they were good, by myself, without some sighted friend. Hmm. Or any kind of friend. Yeah, yeah. 
and I was so I got next semester I transferred to another dorm, which was better because instead of having to go down and try to wend your way through a cafeteria line, they had servers. And you'd go to the dining room and they would serve you whatever it was, which was just a lot easier. Oh, I know. Buffets are such a pain. I hate them. <laughs> I know. So what did you want to do? What did you want to do? Did you know? What do it for work? Yeah. Uh, well, I, t- I remember telling some rehab counselor, he said, well, you should major in social work. And I said, I did not go to college to get a career. I came to learn truth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I meant it. I really thought that was what you went to college for. I was kind of slow, I think. But he said, poor baby. But they paid my tuition. Rehab paid my tuition. I made a deal. They said, you go to the orientation center for the blind because you don't know much about being blind. And I said, well, I'm not one of those kind of blind people. You know, see, I was, I was being nasty about other blind people. And he said, you know... Yes, you are. <laughs> the world does not differentiate between socially apt blind people and the rest of them. So go learn about yourself. Go learn what it means to be blind and pick up some skills while you're there. How was that so, for you? Mm, oh, I hated it. Did you? Mm-hmm. How come? I was okay. I was a good blindie. <laughs> I got good grades. I was going to Cal. I was good, so it was very good for me to go there mm-hmm. and actually make friends with a lot of them. Well, you you end up having a really diverse crowd. I mean, oh sure, there are a lot of newly blinded people who go to the Hotsy Totsy Club <laughs> and get drunk, and I'd never seen anybody get drunk before. Mm. Yeah. So, was it helpful? No, only uh, the travel, the cane travel part was, and I learned about the NFB because that's how those places are. They're always, you know, recruiting you for the NFB, and it was helpful in that way. And I learned about legislation and how to get stuff passed and how to unite. And it was I learned a lot of political skills, and I learned that I was not unique. I was just another of the blind people that the world didn't believe could do anything you know yeah and i was going to show them i wasn't so i went off to college with my slate i had a slate and a clipboard and lots of braille paper and did you have one of the that's old how board, i took notes one of the old board slates no i had a clipboard with a bunch of paper in it and i'd get new paper on top and i i i kept the different class notes in different folders yeah, yeah, that's 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 um that's what I did was take notes on a <clears throat> on a slate and stylus when um I left my braille note on a on a uh the kitchen table and my roommate poured water into it. It was Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I well, I, it did you did you learn slate and stylus as a kid? Yeah. Did you Yeah, see, I got but, uh, like I got really better at it in college. I got good. Oh, you do, you do, because you have to... You have to. Yeah, yeah, That we, I got, like, one lesson as a kid in, in public school, and then... Yeah, I got uh, something like that. Yeah. And I, then I got good. Click, 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 yep. you know. And then there were a bunch of blind people 
graduate students, most of them, and there was this building called T22. And I heard rumors about T22 and the boys who had mattresses there and what they did. Um, and it wasn't take a nap. <laughs> um, but I didn't know those people very well. And you could put your tape recorders there. You could have your own room. It was kind of a little community, but they're all old. You know, I was a freshman. Mm-hmm. And my tape recorder got stolen that year. I had a Sony TC-105. And it was a reel-to-reel as what I was recording. Books, we, we hired readers, reader funds to hire my friends um, to do the reading. And had an elaborate system all set up. But one day, my tape recorder got stolen. So my dad bought me a new recorder. Did it seem like a lot of work? I mean, just compared to what I went through... But no, because it was the most modern thing there was, you know? Yeah. When I was, I had my first, my second job, my first non-disabled job, mm-hmm. I would type everything in Braille so I could read it, and then I would put it, transcribe it into print so they could read it. With And did you do that by hand, with handwriting? Typewriter and a, and a uh, no, hand, no, Braille writer and typewriter. Oh God! You must have been so good at the typewriter. I, I would, I would have never made it through college without. Oh, sure you would. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just what there was. I had a little Olivetti portable typewriter, which went with me everywhere. Yeah. What was your goal? I wanted to be for a while. I wanted to be an ethnomusicologist. Oh, but you have to drive into the mountains to get the field recordings. Oh well, bye. Um. I figured maybe I'll be a teacher. Maybe I'll be a teacher. I guess I can't think of anything else. Maybe I'll be a newspaper reporter. Hmm. I actually applied to the Watsonville Pajaronian for a newspaper job, but I didn't get it. And I didn't get a teaching job either. So this is in grad school. I was getting a master's in history and a teacher credential, secondary and I went through my teaching, the you know, teaching, student teaching and all. But I started getting involved with these people uh, with many disabilities on campus at the Physically Disabled Students Program, PDSP. And they were thinking, you know, there's nothing like our program for people who are in the community, which means non-college students, or college students once they've graduated, and we thought, why can't we make the city of Berkeley have curb cuts? Mm. So we did. When when was this? This is by now. We have moved right along to 1972. Yeah, because you were with like I mean I don't know as much about the disabled civil rights movement as I I wish I did, but you were like in that big. We're in the forefront of, of it. Yeah, you guys were. We oh. were. We started the Center for Independent Living in Berkeley, Did which you know, was the only one. Was it Ed Roberts? Oh, yeah. Did you know him? <laughs> yeah. Did you really? Yeah. That's awesome. Sure. I remember saying to him in one staff meeting, he was going on about, Berkeley today, the world tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. I said, Ed, can we move along? But he was just Ed Roberts. You know, he wasn't anybody <laughs> special. <laughs> wow. He's like, he's, he's, I mean... In the disability community, um, he's kind of legendary, right? I mean, uh, yeah, I know. They named the campus after him. Well, yeah, I mean, they did. Um, 
I mean, I just personally have benefited so much from what you and 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 folks like him did. I, I mean, you know, there's curb cuts everywhere. You know, we can. My husband That's has right. a job, and he gets on an accessible train, and all of mm-hmm. it. And we took a long time trying to get barrier rapid transit to become accessible, and it did largely due to the work of a guy named Hale Zukas, who had CP, mm-hmm. and he's probably one of the most intelligent, smart people I've ever met. His speech, he couldn't, I could understand him, but, you know, not everybody could. And I don't know what he uses now for speech augmentation, but there wasn't anything back then. It was, you had a board that you poked at letters with. Mm. But his writing was so erudite. Uh, He majored in math and Russian or something, you know, that smart people (laughs) major in. Right. And he was just incredible, and he they, there was the Architectural and Transportation Barrier Compliance Board, AB, ACB, never mind. Anyway, um, and he ran that, really. He was in charge of that and made BART Barrier Rapid Transit become accessible, and the buses, and they didn't want to, and they whined and complained, and, and then they did it. Did you guys, I know here in Utah, um, people with disabilities just, blocked the street and sat in the middle of the road. And mm-hmm. Did you guys do anything like that? There was a huge demonstration at HEW, Health, Education, Welfare, which is now Human Services, uh, Feds, the Feds. Mm-hmm. Um, and see, I had just started this new job at California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, or Fair Employment Practice Commission, and I couldn't go. They... they sat in the building for about a month. Mm. And I, but I couldn't go. Because you couldn't get the time off work? or I just started a job. Sure, sure. You can't say, Hi, I would like to <laughs> take time off to go demonstrate. It, there's an indefinite time. And can I have my job still when I come back? Uh, <laughs> oh, well, you got a good point. <laughs> oh, so um, what was that like when that finally... Or how did that how did that go through? What did they finally just cave? Well, they prevailed. I think the the feds caved, and we it was about five hundred four section you know five hundred four of the Vocational Rehabilitation Act of nineteen seventy three. That's what it was about. So yeah, this is so interesting for me because all of this happened like, you know, I mean, I wasn't even born, <laughs> and and yet I benefit every day from. The work that was done. By Just as we benefited from all the work that NFB did in the 30s. Mm. Well, yeah. I think, you know, I think that one thing sometimes that happens in the disability community is we get a little bit um, insular in that, you know, the blind worry about the blind and the wheelchair well, yeah. people worry about the wheelchair people and we don't work together as well as, as we should. Yeah, and and what makes it interesting is then when you when you have a you know marriage like what you and I ended up having, where mm-hmm. you've got two disabilities, you're like, wait, yeah, I can use this inaccessible form of transportation, but how's my husband? <laughs> He's not right. Yeah, yeah. So I I the- took our chapter of NFB out of the NFB, our student chapter. Mm-hmm. Because they were not into, they still aren't really into cross disability stuff. 
-hmm. And I talked to Ken Jernigan. I went up on the stage and I said, we're seceding and taking the treasury. Mm. Wow. I loved it. That was back in my 20s when I believed in black and white thinking. You know, there was no gray or shades. There was right and there was wrong. That's it. What? I was right and they were wrong. What made you interested in um, working with people with other disabilities? Was it just people that you'd met in college? or? Yeah, was... it yeah. was. And I thought it was... I'd always been interested in stuff like that, in sort of social work type stuff. Mm -hmm. And who better to be working with than a wide variety of disabilities? When I was a kid, uh, in ninth grade, our family, my dad had a sabbatical, and he had a meeting, a speech, a thing, to a paper, that's what it was, to present in either Benares or New Delhi, one of those cities in India. And we went, and it just opened my eyes drastically to other ways of living. And I remember there were people in the streets moaning and wailing. I said, Daddy, are they dying? He said, they are. Well, can't we do something? No, we can't. I thought, wow, that's awful that we can't. I mean, here we are staying in this sort of Anglo-Indian compound and eating very well. And here are these other people who live there, and they're dying. And then I read Tale of Two Cities the next year. I loved that book. I did, too. Yeah. But it, it, it brought me into awareness of politics and other ways of living, of poor people. Not just kind of scenic poor people, but not scenic. You know what I mean? Really poor, hard scrabble people. Sure, sure. So, um, so you you ended up working at the Independence uh, Living Center. That was your career, right? Was was working there? Oh no, that was my first job. I did it for four years, and then I wanted to see what life outside the world of disability. We called it the Valley. You know, mm -hmm. the Valley of the Blind where the one-eyed man is king. <laughs> right, I remember hearing that quote. So I wanted a non-Valley job. And I worked for the state for four years. And then Charlie and I moved to Maine. Because we loved it. So, so, oh, go ahead. We lived there for 13 years and I worked for state rehab. So, um, tell me about meeting Charlie. <laughs> well, he came into Center for Independent Living, into our office, CIL, we call it, and he said, what do you guys, he was in his power chair, and he said, what do you guys do here? And I was, it was my turn to give the tour. So I did, I didn't, and I had just broken up with somebody, so I wasn't interested in guys, not that he was interested in me necessarily, but even if he was, I wasn't, so yeah. Um <laughs> And then his dog pooped in my office. I thought, oh, gross, get this awful dog out of here. But he didn't go away. He said, can I help you? Can I do some collating or something for you? Because I, I read, I ran their newsletter. Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, you want to staple these things? So we got to talking, and we knew 
bunch of people in common. His roommate had been my TA as a senior. And we got we went for walks. And then the Monday after Thanksgiving of 74, I had to go up to Sacramento to the state capitol to give a presentation about something. I think it was homemaker chore services, in-home care, in-home support, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we wanted to make it part of legislation so that people had to get people to help them. And he said, I'll pick you up at the meeting point. But he didn't, because he was always late, because he just was until later in life. And I went to the Capitol with this strange woman in her van, and then I met Charlie up there, and I gave my presentation. It was raining. He said, I'll give you a ride home. And that was really the end of my work day. He said, you want to come over? I said, okay. I got some hot cider on the stove. I thought that sounded great, because it was an unpleasant day. It was the Monday after Thanksgiving. And unknown to me, he used to put his newspapers between the burners. <laughs> so I said, I'll turn it on. Smart guy. And I said, and I caught them on fire, the newspaper. I said, oh. where did you, you put them? That is really dumb. Where's your sink? Let me get these in there. So I got these in there, and I did not start a fire. <laughs> and we had to cider, and we talked and talked and talked and talked, you know. Yeah. And when you first meet somebody, you love them, and then you don't know if you love them, but you think you maybe could. Sure. And it's so exciting. And we talked and talked and talked and talked. And that was that. So, um, what type of muscular dystrophy did he have? They called it limb girdle. Was it degenerative? Was it oh, it's degenerative? all degenerative. Oh, sure. Well, my husband's isn't. They don't really know what he has. He really? I'm so happy. Good. It, well, he's a, he's a fluke. His, uh... <laughs> Sorry, Tyler, if you listen to this. Um, his his mom had a high fever um, when she was pregnant with him. And he was born basically with just muscles in his arms and legs that just were totally underdeveloped and um, arthrogryposis, which is twisted joints. But had a lot of surgeries and stuff as a kid. Um, like they took muscle from his back and put it into his arms so he could have a bicep and put his... Did it work? A little bit. I mean, he can put his hand to his mouth. Um, well, that helps. Yeah, 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 exactly. But he, um, but he's he hasn't degenerated. Degenerated. He stayed. He stayed the same. So they don't. They they've just never been able to figure out what he has. And people have tried, and they just don't. They don't know. But anyway, so you guys started um, kind of dating, and what was your family's? We didn't. As long as you're happy, dear. You what? As long as you're happy, dear. Yeah, because I remember when we talked on the phone, if you're comfortable telling the story. Yeah, that, sure. Um, your mom expected you to work and be employed, oh, yeah. but she didn't expect you to get married. That's right. Um, mom said, I think this was in high school, and she won't hear this because she doesn't do podcasts. She doesn't. Okay. <laughs> so you're she not doesn't. She's 91. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, she said, you know, you have to understand that you're blind and you're short and you're, and you've got seizures. They're not very interesting seizures. Uh, they just aren't there, but they're technically seizures and they kept me from getting health care that wasn't part of an employer group. Hmm. Anyway, 
And so you, I want you to support yourself, but don't expect to get married. Wow. I thought, okay, well, all right. I, that seems so interesting to me because I think sometimes parents will have pretty high expectations of their kids in one area and then just in another area they just don't seem to have them and that's yeah that's what that's i think she would deny having said that Mm, yeah now so when you guys as you guys were talking about your future and your relationship was was you know the fact that he's has a degenerative disability was it was it i guess Muscular dystrophy is pretty, for most people, it ends up being pretty fatal. It's fatal, right? I mean, that's what... Well, it depends on your muscular dystrophy. Um, some people die it by the time they're 21. He didn't have that kind. That's Duchenne. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had this other one that nobody understood very well, but I think they still don't. He got to be 62. Mm. Almost 63 by about a month. And then he died. But the last 10 years of his life were just very difficult because he couldn't go to the bathroom by himself anymore and he got he had a really some colon problem and he would just feel so sick and and he would bloat and he couldn't breathe very well so I was always wondering is this a 911 night we had help but and at the end we had 24 hour care at the very end because my doctor told me, you can't keep... I would sit him up every night on the hour, roughly. Which meant I didn't get a lot of sleep. But sure. that's what you do, but you have to. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what were the early days of your marriage like? Oh, they were fun. They were great. Um, I remember in 1970, before we actually got married, um, we lived together. I moved in. In February of 75, on my guide dog's birthday, Sylvia was her name, and I moved in then, and I remember a lawyer, out-of-town lawyer, came to visit Charlie, and Charlie didn't tell him, and then I walked in with a key, and said, hi, I'm home. He said, I'd like to introduce you to, anyway, um, so we did a lot of fun things, we'd go on trips, we went to the, the, I guess in 75, we went to our first trip to Maine. And we went to Santa Barbara. And we went to a fancy pants hotel. And he read Raymond Chandler, you know, the detective novels, mm-hmm. to me as we listened to the beach, to the ocean mm-hmm. surf. It was just it was very romantic. How, how fun. It was. You, you didn't have kids. We were told not to. By and who? then we were told, oh, we didn't mean it. So who, who we tried to, kids? the doctor, his doctor, his muscular dystrophy doctor. What, because it, it was genetic or? Oh, sure. And they weren't sure what his, whether he was a carrier. So we said, all right. Did that make you sad? Later it did. Yeah. And we tried to adopt, and we couldn't. We couldn't adopt an American child because we couldn't. They wouldn't let us. I I don't know that the, a lot has changed. I, um, I'm sure it hasn't. We uh, because we went through um some 
probably, you know, trying to have a family and it not working. And then I kept miscarrying um, uh. before our oldest daughter was born. And um, we, um, I don't know, I mean, that, that was a big thing for me was I wanted have kids and um and uh and i was you know when i i wasn't sure what we were gonna do if we couldn't have them on our own because i i don't know that i think it'd be hard for us to adopt i'd, I'd love sure i'd love would. i'd love there to be a day when that changes and i know there are people with disabilities who successfully adopt but i i've never met one um i have a friend actually he oh, is really? blind and his wife is blind and they run a foundation where they help people adopt children with well, more power to them that's they, wonderful yeah yeah so it does happen um and you know i know a couple people one of them another one was a, a friend of mine um <clears throat> they adopted their older um their oldest daughter was adopted through a friend who you know who knew them and was looking to adopt right. and then their second daughter was adopted uh he would he worked as a computer programmer for Pacific Corp. So he did well financially and they could afford to adopt overseas. And I think their other daughter is from Romania and they went over to Romania and, you know, they were working with people and they said, look, you can't come to the court because if you do, they're not going to get your kid. Yeah. Yeah. Get your kid. And he said, and I remember visiting with him and he said, this is, I just had to decide this is not the time to try and educate an entire country on no. the capabilities of people with disabilities. And so he just went with it. So it does happen, but it's, it's hard. Oh, good. Yeah. We got a letter from mother to from sisters of charity in, in India where we tried to adopt a four year old. And I'm really glad we didn't because I didn't know much about attachment disorder at the time, mm. but I do now. I became a therapist later and well, my my niece um, was from China, and they got her at seven months, and it's been kind of rough for the family, but they're making a lot of headway now, and they're great. It just works so hard, and she has two, and it's just so lovely to see how what a beautiful, young, poised teenager uh, she is. Yeah. Did Charlie want kids? No, he was afraid. Sort of. I mean, kind of. Uh, yes and no. He was ambivalent. Because he was afraid he couldn't be able to do much. His arms were so weak. And he wasn't sure how he was going to run after them. You know, you have to run after them. Oh, I know. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so we borrowed other people's kids. Mm. We have a goddaughter, Andy, who's getting married this fall. Mm-hmm. At the age of 35 who we did a lot of stuff with and bought her her first Apple IIe and um, sent her to camp. And we st- she stayed with us summers. And when she went to Sonoma State, she'd come here and do our laund- her laundry, you know, how kids do on the weekend. Sure. And we were her weekend home. And I've got a stepdaughter, yeah. Laura, who just turned 20. And she called me up the other day and said, there's this awful woman with an awful dog. She says it's a service dog, and uh, she works at a salon. And uh, we don't want to let her in because it's trying to bite people. And I said, you don't have to let her in. You cannot. You don't have to let in a badly behaved dog. Ask her what their dog does for her, and she'll probably lie to you. But you do not have to let in a 
a badly behaved dog, even if it has a license and a harness and a real harness and has gone through training. If they can't behave in public, they can't be allowed in public. That is, is for it, sure. Okay, I, thanks. Bye. I, I wish I wish more businesses knew that. <laughs> Those of us with well behaved dogs would have a much easier time. I know. What are some other what are some other stories from being married to Charlie that you remember? <laughs> I remember. We had gone we were on a cross country trip. Uh, we were in a Voyager, which is like a Canadian Denny's or worse. Um like a crummy you know, it's, it's, it's a, one of those places. Like a Howard Johnson's, if they still have those anymore. Um, and some woman, at the time, he was driving an Oldsmobile Tornado because it had a lot of dog room and because he liked it and had a lot of power. So he was, he, he was, able, to, he, he was able to drive. He was able to drive, yeah. At the time, he was driving with hand controls. And then as things got worse, he used a van, several different vans. And so some woman was saying, oh, those poor people, how can they, you know, so Charlie peeled rubber pulling out of that parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) And we went to France. He was good enough in French to argue with the rental car people. Mm. And he brought hand controls, made them put on, put them on the rattle, and off we went. So you worked. I mean, you you moved to Maine, and you worked for rehabilitation. State rehab. State rehab. Yeah. And he he didn't, right? I, mean, I think he did not. He just couldn't. He was lucky enough to have enough money to live on. And that was just the way that you guys did things, and that was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I brought in the health care. Yeah. What? Um. Tell me about. Tell me about what that was like as he started uh, degenerating. It was awful. I mean, I had to, because he, I had to, you know what chucks are? Mm-mm. They're those things they put on the hospital beds. They're sort of to keep people's bodily fluids from soaking into their sheets. Mm. I used to have to wrap Charlie up in those things so he wouldn't leak on the bed. Mm. So you do what you do. It was difficult, but I loved him. And people would say, how's Charlie really? And I just said, what you see is what you get, which wasn't quite true. Um, But I wasn't going to go into the gore. Mm -hmm. Just for his own dignity. And mine too. At At the end, the only privacy I got was on the bus going to work. Did you, was it hard to get your disabilities to adapt? I mean, that's been something that, you know, Tyler and I just from starting, just from the beginning of dating and stuff was, you know, figuring out how I could help him eat. Well, he could eat by himself pretty well, Mm -hmm. which was good. And I got all these free rides, which I really didn't appreciate as much as I did after they stopped. From him, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure. Can you take me to Salta? Oh, sure. <laughs> you know, I just didn't appreciate what a good deal I had. No, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone. They pay paradise and put up a parking lot. But, um, that's Johnny Mitchell from way back. But he would say stuff like, he said, I would say, I know how you feel. And he would say, you know, you don't. <laughs> 
first of all, nobody does. And secondly, you don't know. You don't have, you have been this kind of disability. I said, you know, yeah. you're right. No, I, I, it's so true. I, um, it's interesting because there's, there's stuff that you understand about each other. Um, especially just the social things because, you know, you get the same strange treatment, but, um, one thing that's, you know, when you can't feed yourself or give yourself water is that you have to really regulate. You have to regulate what goes in because what it's goes like in a, must like come out. It's like a dog and relieving. <laughs> it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's been poignant for me to, to watch um, Tyler have to go through that and, and have to, you know, not drink as much during the day or different things. But it's that stuff that you just end up um, having to deal with is, is, and it's interesting because even though you live with it and you're helping the person with just all those kind of needs, you mm-hmm. still, I still have no idea what it's like to have no, to. No, you, you can't. Yeah. Yeah. It's impossible. But I think, I think that's, um, I wish everybody realized that they don't know what it's like because I, I, I remember listening, uh, reading a friend's post on Facebook and he said, you know, paradoxically the, the first step to really being educated about a, a minority is you're realizing that you don't know anything and and that there's no way you'll ever totally completely understand because yeah, it's not. Yeah, that's true. Life. Before Charlie died, he told me to fall in love with somebody and I, and I said, oh, uh, uh, or something like that. How mm-hmm. could I? Uh, but he also said, it'll be easier for you when I'm gone. He wasn't being pitiful or self-pitying. He was telling me the truth which i didn't want to hear you know yeah yeah what was what was that like because somebody that you love dearly is gone but also all of the all of the things that you're doing to help them and it was awful i mean it was just awful um i was at work when he died mm-hmm. and his attendant person called me up and said he's blue and then he called me up again he's dead and my office mate drove me home. I was going to take the bus. He said, just don't get in the car. Yeah. And I made phone calls all the way home. And it was it was awful. I had to organize the funeral. And, and then I realized I just bought a pair of a bunch of turtlenecks from Land's End. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was going to have them marked so I could tell what color they were. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what color they were. So I called these friends of mine in Montana, Bruce and Joy Breslauer. Bruce was one of my friends in first grade through forever. And I said, you guys are capable. You do everything right. And they said, no, we don't. No, we don't. I said, well, you do most things right. Okay, what do I do about colors? They said, buy a colorino. What's that? It's a little thing you point at the thing you want to know the color of, and it'll tell you mostly. (laughs) So I did. It was one of my favorite gadgets. Yeah, because you you used his eyes. Yeah, of yeah. course. It's an interesting relationship, isn't it? Because you end up uh, mutually benefiting each other um, in ways that you just didn't. I, you don't even think about. I think you're right. Anything else about your marriage that you wanted to talk about that you remember? It was a good marriage. I mean, it was, I was in love with him, 
Uh, it was tough at the end. He declined. I'd say the last ten years were tough. Uh, but for the last two, maybe, or mm-hmm. three. But, and I was so, what do you call it? Well, a, a cab driver who I'd known since I started taking cabs um, on occasion said, you know, after Charlie died, you look 15 years younger. Because mm. I was just so fixated on putting one foot in front of the other, kind of, and doing what I had to do at work. I worked at a homeless family shelter. That was my last job. And that I, I didn't I didn't have a lot of fun. And so after Charlie died, I started going to this jam at a English-type style pub on Tuesday nights in San Rafael. And we played Celtic music. Mm. And that was a whole lot of fun. That was something I loved doing. And in 2008, I went to, I don't know if you've heard of the podcast, Cooking in the Dark. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was a Blind Like Me, Blind Handyman um, list. And Phil Parr, who since left us, died, um, invited everybody to this gathering of a list in Houston. And I thought, you know, this sounds like an adventure. i got to go. So I did. And it was an adventure. All these neat blind people who were musicians, and I, I just played music all night and had a blast. If you could do it over again, would you would you have done it the same? Yes. Would you? Mm-hmm. How come? Because I loved him. That's Basically, I mean that's about it. But I also love my my town. Yeah. So. Um... Has that has that been healing for you? Because you know you're in a oh, it's been great. You're in a new relationship and mm-hmm. And um, it was a year and a half between them. Mm-hmm. And, and Charlie told you to do that, didn't he? If I remember, he right. told me to. He gave me permission. He said, I really want you to do this. I, I've thought about um, for me. I, I mean, I've been open with Tyler about it. I've said I, I really, I want to, I want, I want you to die before me. <laughs> I, I don't want you to be sitting at my funeral wondering how you're going to use the bathroom. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know, I mean, maybe it's a strange thought to have. No, I, no. You know, We've sure. talked about death a lot, Charlie and I did. Mm-hmm. And we, we just did. Uh, some people thought we were morbid, but I don't think so. I thought it was, I'm glad we did. But back then, I wasn't as excited about life as I am now. Because mm-hmm. it was dreary. I mean, it was kind of... It, it wasn't a lot of fun. This was when, really, he was, was it when he was getting sick. Yeah, going yeah. downhill. And it just wasn't, a, it was a lot of work and not a whole lot of fun. Because we'd had our fun, kind of. I thought, well, all right, that's it for me, I guess. And, I mean, I tried not to think like that. And I tried to be as cheerful and all as I could outside. But it just seemed, I thought, you know, I've done everything I wanted to do. I'm, I'm okay with death. Well, that's not true anymore. I got stuff to do. Hmm. And a guy to do it with. Yeah. Yeah. And we met in 1969 at Guide Dogs. Okay, so I gotta, I gotta ask you, if, if you're okay to somewhat change the right. Um, Because you... I, 
this is so fun for me because you were, uh, you know, you were using a guide dog post-American, pre-Americans with Disabilities Act and... Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So what got you interested in in using one? Oh, I vowed never to. Um, really? How come? I I knocked my front, I don't remember, bumped out my front tooth or, I, yeah, I had to have a cap uh, on a traffic control box. I wasn't paying attention. Right. And kaboom. So I decided, okay, they're right close here. I'll call them. And you so went to Guide Dogs to the Blind, right? In For 47 years, and then I switched schools. Wow. What what school did you switch to? Guide Dogs of America in wow. Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Where they don't use food reward training. Mm. That was a big thing for you. So, so, so you, but... But you had knocked out your tooth, which must have hurt. <laughs> yeah, I felt stupid because it was so avoidable. <laughs> well, having avoidable accidents, I think, is part of being a human being. But, but I'm that... afraid so. <laughs> but that so you I was that... 19. Oh, okay, so you you were pretty pretty young then. I I was 19 too. I didn't think I was young. Just ask me then. Oh, you never do. <laughs> I always wondered if the if the me's of my life, you know, the different ages of me, would like each other. Yeah, that's a good question. I, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, but so so you uh, you called them up and and they did a home interview and all that that mm-hmm. they do, and they set me up for the. They were going to either go or graduate on July 19th. I don't remember which. And there was this boy in the class. And he was so cute. And he was so fun. I didn't, I'd seen all these movies about love and and gushy stuff, and I hated them. But I really liked sitting by this boy on the bus. I mean, there was something about him. I just liked him a lot. And we wrote to each other afterwards, and I signed my first letter L-U-V, like I was laughing, you know, ha ha. And he signed it L-O-V-E. Mm. And we sent little recordings back and forth. And and then we, he stopped writing because he knew he'd never come to California. That was our little plan. And I said, what's wrong? We used to call each other on birthdays and stuff. And he, and he never told me what was wrong. And I figured he'd fallen in love or something. So our lives drifted apart. And in 2009, I was downloading System Access, which is a screen reader I used, which I heard about at that gathering I went to. And he said, I mean, the tech said to do this and that and all, you know, like they do. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, did you used to be Jan McEwen? Which was my maiden name. And I said, how do you know? He said, my name is Richard Wells. And I knew that this guy, Talmadge Wells, who I called Tal, still do. Uh, had these younger brothers, Charles and Richard. And I had asked. I then asked him how his mother was. Oh, I'm sorry. How's your father? I'm sorry. How's Wilma? That's their sister. Sorry. I thought, oh, my God, they all did. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> and, terrible. And then I asked about Charles. Oh, he's okay. And I said, oh, how's Tal? Like I could care less. Mm-hmm. And Richard was not fooled because he's a smart guy. He said, well, he's single and he's fine. Now, and, and Tal is the guy that you met at Guide Dogs. Yeah. Okay. And so he called me up. Mm. And I got Skype on my computer. Because I didn't have a phone yet, a iPhone. How fun. 
and mm-hmm. it just kind of went from there. Yeah, it did. So, um, so you got you got your first dog in in sixty nine. Sixty nine. What was mm-hmm. that like? Oh, I was so silly and innocent and ignorant. Um, I thought that they were little saints and that they would never do anything wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did. I really thought that. And that maybe I'd hurt their little feelings somehow if I was anything but uh, as nice as pie. I am am laughing because I was the same way. And my first guide dog ran the show. She was totally in charge for the eight seven eight years I had her and that was just great and you know we'd be walking somewhere and Hani would want to sniff a bush so we stopped and she sniffed a bush and then when she was done we could go on our way (laughs) I got a my third guide dog was my first good girl Mm. because I had to grow up and because I had uh, a couple of duds Uh, one was a fighter and one was just she pooped on my bed (gasps) oh my god (laughs) and she kept getting ear infected she was just Mm. not cut out to be a dog guide dog yeah. But anyway, I kept trying, and I finally got my third girl, Saint Sylvia the Departed, and she lasted till she was eleven. Mm, that's that's a really good age. Oh, she was so wonderful. She died six months later, and I was just bereft. But I kept going, and I got good ones and bad ones, but a lot of good ones. Yeah. What well, What was your favorite? What's been your favorite dog? Uh, oh, what, I don't know. Using a dog. Oh, the the freedom. I mean, when you use a cane after a dog. In, in between dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. There's so much junk on the sidewalk. <laughs> right. You yeah. would never know. I remember visiting with a friend about about that. Um, and he's a he's a dog person. You know, he has pet dogs, and he just would not get a guide dog. It would not work for him. And he said, you know, I used my cousin's guide dog, gave it a shot, and, um, and this dog's hauling me down the street and swerving left and swerving right. And that's like, what I'm they're on supposed a, to do. on a roller coaster. And I, I said, yeah, that's right. That's what it feels like. I love it. And he said, and I hate it. <laughs> okay, then you don't get a dog. So also, he uses a cane. He likes to know what's there. <laughs> street crossings are better. Mm-hmm. They're straight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yes, do. you have to relieve them. And yes, they throw up. Don't they, Sonny? Yes, we won't discuss it. But, they do. <laughs> but I don't care. Oh, yeah. Did, I remember in college, my honey, you know, ate something off the sidewalk. I told her not to. And it was in the middle of winter and it was snowing. And we were up all night long because she had oh. the runs. And yeah, yeah. So they are work, but. I remember I was in a hotel. We, Charlie and I were in a hotel. And it was Sylvia. She always traveled badly. She'd get diarrhea, drop of a hat. And I said, excuse me, do you know where I can find some grass? I was down at the lobby. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm sorry, we can't tell. I said, no, 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 not that kind. Uh, <laughs> a place for my dog to go. Oh, of course. Of course, we can uh, help you with that. Oh, that's awesome. Did... um. Was your family and Charlie, were they supportive of, of your dogs? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Except yeah. one dog, who was it? I forget. Somebody had died, one of them, you know. I guess it was, I don't remember, maybe Clayton. And we were in Maine, and I was getting this new dog, and I said, Charlie, you got to have to like him. And he said, and I, I had the dog already. He was big, Labrador. And I said, well, 
I guess I can come to terms with the local draft animal. <laughs> and I said, you will not talk about my dog that way. Of course, she learned to love him. Oh, yeah. I, um, when Tyler and I met, the only thing he liked about me was my dog. He thought I was annoying, but he liked my dog. Now, did Charlie ever have service dogs? Oh, he had pets. Mm. The dog who pooped in my office was Tanaya. She was an African lab mix. And she's always such a joyful animal. And she and Sylvia once escaped. They went on a toot. Oh. A garbage toot, you know. Mm-hmm. Boy, were they sick, and boy, was I mad. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. It was also scary to get my dog, you know, gone. I don't oh, know how yeah. that happened. Honey was a runner. I one time, um, one time Tyler, I I, I let in a bunch some blind friends, and I swear, Honey thought, "Sweet Whoop. blind people, I'm out of here, man." And Tyler gets yeah. back from work like two hours later, and he said, "Where's Honey?" And I said, "I don't know. Is she asleep under your desk?" <laughs> he probably gave me a look like Honey never sleeps under my desk, and so. He goes off chasing, chasing the dog and tracks her down. He he spent a lot of time tracking down Mike, my guide dog. <laughs> one one time, um, we were we just been we were just married, and he was up, and he was in a, a manual chair, um, and mm-hmm. he can he can move around, you know, with his feet. He can sure his yeah. manual chair, and. Um, and I, I was just lazy and laying in bed. I'm like, oh, honey, could you could you go let honey out for me? That would just be so nice. And see, so he said, okay. So he goes and lets her out the door. And he's ah, just in his door. pajamas, you know. And so he lets her out the door. And she, she just runs off. I mean, she knows he can't come after her. So he comes back. And I help him transfer to his power chair. And he goes and spends the next two hours chasing honey. Who was <laughs> just exploring <laughs> yeah. I bet he never did that again no 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 did did your dogs um they've never liked to go to the bathroom in the rain did you uh, did, that's been the case I had mine. one that did she really was very good at it yeah oh. my other but Sonny Sonny's pretty good at it too mm. my other two just are like wondering why I'm not changing the weather for their benefit the two I've had oh Sylvia was just awful in the rain he didn't like to walk in it, and I'm, we were, I was getting, we was back in the 70s when I was working for the state, you know, in San Francisco, and I was walking home from the bus, and getting, I had a raincoat, but it wasn't the best raincoat, you know, mm-hmm. and she had one, but she didn't care, and she'd just crawl along, despite <laughs> what I did, and so my socks were wet, my underpants, everything, I was wet, you know, mm-hmm. and I got home, and I was so mad, I sp- <laughs> I spit on her head. <laughs> and I said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And I, and I got on my knees and I hugged her and said, I'm sorry, I don't hate you. I, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you were so awful. Oh, you know, they, oh, that's such a great story. You make me feel so human. <laughs> because well, they can be little brats, you know? I know, they can. And, you know, and Joe Blow Public just thinks they're so perfect and oh i know stop by here at 11 30 and i've taken her out three times 
Because she acts like she needs to go potty and she won't do anything. I won't. I won't. I don't <laughs> want to. Get me in harness and get me a few feet away. i got to go now. Exactly. Now. I'll do it on the sidewalk. And, and of course, it's always that time that you're running, you know, way late for the bus or something. Of course it is. <laughs> oh. At the gym, they think I'm freaking inspirational. I hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um... You come here every day, they say. I said, so do you. Yeah. Oh, well, it's different. I thought, hell, it is. You know, any any advice on how to deal with that one? I've. I, There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, I don't think anymore. Um, I, used to, I used to try to do stuff about it and educate them as nicely as I could, except mm -hmm. for the time I was on BART and somebody asked me, that's the subway around here. Sure. And somebody asked, what kind of dog is that? And I've been hearing that all day. You know how you do. Mm -hmm. And I said, it's a Malamute. <laughs> and they said, it is not. I said, really? That's what they told me. <laughs> it amused me. Oh, I know. But mostly there's nothing you can do about sight of people's ignorance. When when you and Charlie, um, I'm, I'm curious because... Um, when Tyler and I are, you know, at restaurants or something, they've got to deal with some of one of us, you know, and they tend to talk to him. It's because he can look at them. That, yep, yep, yep. That's what I think. Together, too. you make a whole person. Is that what is that what happened with you guys? Oh sure. They they talk to they talk mm -hmm. to him because he can make eye contact. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Cal, anything else before I wrap up with a few? Final I questions. think they're going to get so bored by this old lady. Um, <laughs> I know, this, this has been fun. It's been fun for me, too. I, it's just a lot of fun. This is totally off the subject. That's um, okay. Where, where's Charlie? To you. Heaven. You, yeah? You believe in Yeah, heaven? I do. I actually do. He started out life as an atheist. Then he became an agnostic. Mm-hmm. This is over years. And then he became what he called a social Catholic, meaning he liked to go to the parties. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he, when he was in the hospital nearly near the end, he asked for the priest to come. And so Tom West came to see him, and he had out-of-body out experience. He could feel wings growing out of his shoulders. Mm. And he was flying around the hospital room. And then he came back down, he could feel the wings retract. Mm. And he slept well. Yeah. yeah I so I think he's playing with trains and making sure that transportation works well, because he loved trains. Hmm. He helped to get Amtrak into Maine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'll ask you my final questions. What does muscular dystrophy mean to you? sense you know that was a big part of your life even though it wasn't your disability but it was your husband's it means it means the difficulty of knowing that you're never going to get better mm. the difficulty of trying to prepare for the next step like he used to be a photographer he couldn't do that anymore so we had to try to do something else and keep doing something else until the else's were done I think it's 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 terrible. 
It's in one of Dante's circles of hell. I think. It's a nasty disability. You do the best you can to adapt. But there's only so far in life you can adapt. Yeah. You do nothing except hurt. Did he I would have wished that. Hmm? Did he, he had chronic pain? At the end, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't wish it on anybody. I wouldn't wish it on anybody and if it's progressive. If you stay static like your husband, that's okay. You just learn to deal with I mean cuz he's grown up with it. He's just it's normal for him in a way. Oh yeah, no. I I mean it's it's uh But I think um I think that a disability that you know that that, that takes your movement away with your arms and and your legs. Um, I think that's, I think that's gotta be probably the hardest one to adapt. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because people say, how can you live without seeing? Yeah, but I can take myself pee at one in the morning. I'm not waking up my spouse. That's true. (laughs) That happens. But he's always done that. No. I don't know that it makes it easier. I don't know either. I mean, I'd have to, Probably too, too bad he's at work. We could ask him, but I, mm-hmm. I don't know that um, because you know it's. I think maybe it's like driving. You know, people tell us as blind people that we don't, you know, you, you don't know about driving, and you know, you don't miss it because you never had it. It's like, oh, honey, huh. Huh. <laughs> I miss it. I, <laughs> I miss it. I've been missing it since I was sixteen, and unless Google comes up with a great invention, I'm going to continue to miss it. <laughs> you know Me just... too. I want a Miata. What is blindness to you? It's normal, except normal, except um, you can't drive. You can't see. I want. To, I'm intrigued by color. I'm fascinated by color, whatever it is. Yeah, it goes over your head, doesn't it? Because you, you have to you... make up. You know, such and such goes with such and such, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see it. I'd like to see wildflowers. I'd like to see Tal's face. I'd like to see what I look like. That might be scary. I don't know. What do other people look like? Would I like really tacky stuff because it was bright and shiny <laughs> and interesting? I, I might. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Uh, people tell me my daughter is pretty, and I don't know what that means. course not you know you know she's wonderful but you don't know what she looks like yeah 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 i mean you know what she feels like but i can't tell the difference much in human faces i can't tell that this one has a i just can't i don't go around touching people's faces oh i know i uh, i know you want to feel my face no get away that's exact i remember i was at my brother's wedding and this guy was like oh so you know you're blind do you feel the f- do you do the face feeling thing and my i could tell my whole body language was like dude you are giving me the grapes <laughs> yeah do you wonder what the stars look like oh yeah i do too. <clears throat> and what i'm more interested in, so much the moon what is that like mm-hmm. and what is what is dappled sunlight what does that look like and what do the catalog colors look like you know that they have a they have weird names, you know, in catalogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's that yeah. compared to the actual color? What's the color of nature compared to the color of man-made colors? I mean, I know there's a color wheel and all, but it doesn't mean anything to me. 
Sure. Yeah, it's just you know enough about it, so your clothes match. <laughs> well, yeah. And would I like the same kind of clothes that I like now? So I'll ask you, I'll ask you my, my final question, um, which is, what is the most important lesson that you've learned that you'd like to pass on to other people? Uh, it's not a blind lesson, though. Is that all right? It's it's your life. It's your lesson. Um, <laughs> right. This is your life, Chan, bro. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, blindness is just one part of you, right? I mean, it's not all. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think the most important thing is, you know, when I was in my 20s, I thought I was always right. And that passed away. Thank goodness. <laughs> and the important thing for anybody, I think, is whatever issue you want to take, I don't really care what it is. But is your response to it motivated by love? Mm. Is it motivated by loving one group and also rans? I mean, not liking, loving, caring about another group. Is your action going to pit groups against one another for your love or your caring or something? And do you want to give more to one group than another? You know, if it's not motivated by love, it's not a good thing. Yeah. So try to, I have to try to care about people I don't like, whoever they are. And whatever reason I don't like them, it's not up to me to like people or to act like I don't. That's stupid. And it does nobody any good. So get over yourself. Right, right. Because everybody's God's children or whatever you want to call it. We're all in this boat together. We're all bozos on this bus. <laughs> well, anything else? That I... Have fun. Everybody, <laughs> have fun. Yeah. Don't be too serious. Thank you for joining us on Ability Stories. Please review this podcast in iTunes. To comment on this episode, please go to abilitystories.podbean.com. If you have any show ideas or would like to be a guest on Ability Stories, send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.